As we get started this morning, I just want to take a little bit of time to tell you what a blessing it was for me to sit where you're sitting this morning and be a part of our worship service last week as just a member of this church family. I say that because in the midst of that experience, I learned an important lesson. I learned many important lessons, but one of the ones that I learned that morning was that you don't need me to be the church that God wants you to be. And I want you to know I'm telling you that with a heart that is totally overflowing with gratitude. It was such a blessing to sit and be ministered to as a part of this church family, to look up here and to see Chris Sanders, who I've known since he was a kid. I mean, really small kid, right? To stand up here and humbly lead our worship with other men and women who were a part of that worship team with him, and then to sit under Brian's teaching as I showed him after the service, take a full page of notes as he handled a really challenging passage in a beautiful way that was both encouraging and convicting. Probably the most convicting thing for me personally was the last question he asked. Do you remember the last question of his sermon? He says this. He says, do you prefer to be strong and put together, or are you okay with being weak and needy? (laughs) That's a good question. And I'll have to be honest with you and tell you that as your pastor, I've always felt like it was part of my job to be strong and put together. I mean, who wants a weak and needy pastor, right? Right? The only problem is my weak and needy keeps leaking out. I can't stop it. I can't seem to keep it all together all the time. And the Lord has a way of speaking into those places. So after church, we had the privilege of sitting down with a new young family who's just recently been coming to Melanie Park. And we just had lunch out at a picnic behind the church And they were courageous enough to tell us part of their story. And part of that story was their attempts to always be strong and put together. How they felt like, as many of us do, that if they could just figure out all the answers and and just know all the truth, then they could just avoid all the struggle. And then they had kids. (laughs) Yeah, been there, done that. Kids have a way of exposing all of our weak and needy places, don't they? And they said something to me in that moment that was really profound. I will never forget it, Jeff and Carrie Rose. They said, would you please make sure you preach the gospel every week? Because we need to be reminded that Christ is sufficient even when we feel very inadequate. And I said, absolutely. Because I need to hear that message just as much as you do. I'm just another one of the weak and needy who need to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ. And I have to believe that we're all in that same boat together, learning to live in the freedom of the gospel. But I think somehow in the church we've sometimes confused Strength with the absence of struggle. That in some ways we look at weak and needy as kind of a spiritual disease, something to avoid. It's more of a, a curse 
than it is a blessing in any way. But I want to tell you with utmost conviction that is absolutely not true. And the reason I say that is because of the testimony of Scripture that tells us that when we are weak, then He is strong. That His power is perfected in our what? Our weakness. So please understand that the gospel is not, as I have often looked at it, simply uh, the message of salvation, the way in which we get to heaven. The fact of the matter is, is, is the gospel is a message of truth that we need to learn to live by every single day. It is the hope in the midst of hard times. It's the promise that allows us to persevere. It is the conviction of the presence and power of the living Christ at work in our lives every single day. That is the gospel message. And it is a message that we all need to hear every single day. It's the belief that He is sufficient even when we are clearly inadequate. It's the encouragement from the promise that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. That we are all learning together what it means to live in the freedom of the gospel. So I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I would not want to be on this journey with anyone else. I love you, Melanie Park Church. And even though you don't need me to be everything God wants you to be as a church, I am totally grateful that we get to do this together. Because I see the evidence of God at work in your lives in some beautiful ways, and you are a blessing to me. So, as we begin our time this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a rich blessing to be together as a church family looking at your word, the promises of your truth, empowered by your spirit, so that we might see and understand more clearly what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, what it means to be co-heirs with Christ, what it means to be members of God's family, walking in the grace and the forgiveness that is found through faith in Christ alone. So Lord, would you just speak through this time? Would you penetrate our hearts? We admit together that we live in a world full of distraction and it is so easy to get pushed off course to, to lose sight of what is true and good and right. So bring us back to center this morning. Allow your word to just penetrate into our hearts to ground us into the place that you want us to be. And Lord, we just come to you humbly and, and sincerely and trust that you are alive, that your presence is with us, and your power is perfecting even as we speak. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We will pick up where Brian left off last week. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul continuing that message that we looked at last week, and as kind of a transition there, in chapter 5, verse 1, he writes and says this. 
He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Again, these are transition verses from what we looked at together with Brian last week when he talked about that contrast between slavery and freedom and all the ways in which Paul was trying to impress that point upon us. Using the example of Ishmael and Isaac, of Old Covenant, of of New Covenant, of law and of grace. He he was emphasizing the the slavery of self-righteousness, of trying to do things on your own, and the freedom that comes through faith in Christ as we believe that He does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And now he looks at his audience and he says, Stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom found through faith in Christ alone. He says, do not be subject again. It's a key word there. Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go backwards in your faith and return to a place from which you have once been rescued. Because remember, that life under the law was a a prison of guilt and shame. It was intended to reveal our inadequacy, to expose our need, our sin, and our need for a Savior. But if that Savior has come, why would you ever want to live as if He hadn't? Why would you want to go back to proving your worth if in fact your worth has already been proven? In a most beautiful and magnificent way as He gave His life on the cross on your behalf. Why would you want to go back and try to prove your worth if in that moment your worth was clearly proven? Why would you want to try and strive for perfection if in that act you have been perfected? So stand firm in the freedom of His forgiveness and His grace. Find security in the unconditional love of God. And then he goes on and kind of, it feels like he's adding special weight to what he's going to say next. The Galatians clearly know that this is a letter from Paul, right? But then he says, I, Paul, say to you. When I read that, the image that I have in my mind is this loving father gently holding his son's face in his hands and he's saying, son, listen to me. Don't miss this. If you are circumcised, Christ is of no benefit to you. Now, clearly, the issue here is circumcision. This is a key issue, but I don't want you to lose sight of the the bigger picture of Paul's intent. Circumcision is a ritual that identifies someone as a legitimate child of God. That's the key here, not the act. It's what the act represents. Circumcision is a ritual that identifies someone as a legitimate child of God. 
And so as Paul is saying, if you rely on anything that adds to the sufficiency of Christ, you don't need Christ. If you add anything to the message of the gospel, you've invalidated the gospel. He is either all you need or he is of absolute no benefit to you. It's, it's all or none. You have to decide which one it will be. But if you add to the work of Christ, you invalidate the sufficiency of that work. An example of this is a, a man who once owned a baseball signed by Babe Ruth. Incredibly rare. Absolutely priceless. But he was concerned because as he looked at the baseball, you could, you could barely read that signature. It had faded over time and it was hardly perceptible. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll bring it back to life. And so he takes a Sharpie pen and he traces over Babe Ruth's signature. And in that moment, what was once priceless instantly became worthless. Because it was no longer Babe Ruth's signature. It was the man's. And in the same way, when we try to enhance the work of Christ, we invalidate the work of Christ. We take what is priceless and it instantly becomes worthless. We ride over his original work. <laughs> trying to improve upon what he has already done. But Paul is saying Jesus is either completely sufficient or he is absolutely unnecessary. And you have to decide which one it will be. Look at how he continues in verse 3. He says, And I testify again that every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to keep the entire law. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Paul kind of presses deeper into this issue to, to, to describe the insanity of the choice. Because he's saying, look, if you're going to live by the law, then, then you've also got to accept the condemnation for your failure. You can't customize your belief system to be based on your own set of rules. God is the only authority who has the ability to establish a standard of holiness. And you either live up to that standard in perfection or you rely on His provision. That's your choice. You either live up to that standard in perfection, which, by the way, no one can do, or you rely on His provision. That's why Paul says self-reliance, relying on self, severs you from the work of Christ. And there's an intentional play on words here because he's talking about circumcision. A surgical procedure that severs the skin. And just as that skin falls off the body, so do we fall from grace when we no longer cling to the cross. See, He's using very intentional words to create an unforgettable message. 
But I want to remind you that Paul is talking to people he has led to Christ personally. He knows the sincerity of their faith. These are believers. So he is not talking about losing your salvation. That's not what it means when he's talking about falling from grace. We know that's true because of what he says next. Look at verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. See, the we includes the audience to which he is writing. He's saying, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting on the hope of righteousness. He's trying to tell them the completion of our salvation is not based on what we work for. It's based on what we wait for. What we wait for. Remember, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Those are not my words. Those are God's words straight from his scripture. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He, not you. So whether you're circumcised or not has no bearing on your salvation whatsoever. Neither does it if you are Jew or Gentile, black or white, male or female, rich or poor. Because the fact of the matter is, we all need Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And if that's our conviction, then it begins to be displayed in how we live our life. Because the the, the root of that faith produces a, a fruit of love where we recognize our shared position of dependence upon Christ and His faithfulness towards us. So falling from grace is not the idea of losing your salvation. Instead, it's the idea of forfeiting all the blessings that come from understanding the sufficiency of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Things like complete forgiveness. Things like total acceptance. Things like eternal security. And so falling from grace is not losing your salvation, but it is losing the assurance of the hope that comes from the conviction of the sufficiency of all that He has accomplished. It's the idea of beginning to rely on yourself and what you must do instead of trusting in the promise of what he has done. Do you see the difference there? One, there's great strength of security and understanding because of his faithfulness. One, the other is the awareness of my failures and my inadequacies. And if that's where we live, that's not a hopeful place to be. We've got to trust in something outside of ourselves to do for us what we could not do on our own. And when we believe that Christ is sufficient, he is all we need. And that's freedom. Look how it continues in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. 
Paul begins this section by explaining that running well is someone who is walking in obedience. Someone who's taking what they know and, and implementing it in how they live. And he says that the Galatians, that this was once true of them. That they were once walking well. They were running well. They were focused on the finished work of Christ. Walking by the power of the Spirit. They were steadfast in their faithful obedience. And then, then someone stood in the way and hindered their walk. When we were backpacking, there was a, uh, a camp that had been established before we got there. Had come, back, come in on horseback, which is kind of cool. You see horses in the valley there. So we were sitting around the campfire one night, and one of those horses, a big black stallion, kind of made its way towards our camp. It was beautiful. And I was looking at it going, but it's not tied up, and yet it's not running free. What? And as you looked a little closer, you saw that the horse had been hobbled. If you don't know what that is, a horse is hobbled when essentially its front legs are tied closely together, so it has very limited movement. It has all this room to run, roam, but it cannot run free. And when I think about what's happening in the church in Galatians, that's the picture that comes to my mind. Their faith has been hobbled. They are being hindered in their walk with Christ. They should be running as they once were in the freedom, the sufficiency of all that Christ has accomplished. But instead, they are being restricted by the influence of other people. And notice Paul doesn't go and name them. He might, even not, might not even know who they are, but it doesn't matter because what's, what matters is he knows who it's not. <laughs> he says that they are not being hindered by the one who came to set them free. That's for sure. And then he makes this pithy little statement where he says, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. As many of you know, leaven is a yeast that causes dough to rise in order to make bread. And in the scripture, leaven is often used to symbolize sin. That's why when we celebrate communion, we use unleavened bread as was directed by Christ when he established that ordinance. So Paul's concerned that this sinful influence is spreading its way throughout the church community in and around Galatia. And he says it only takes a, a little bit of deception to create a whole lot of problems. Look how he goes on in verse 10. He says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the, block of the cross has been abolished. What that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Paul moves from this strong confrontation to what seems to be a very sincere confidence. But his confidence, notice, isn't in the Galatians themselves. It is in the one to whom they belong. Look at what he says again in verse 10. I have confidence in you in the Lord. <laughs> that qualifier is important because Paul understands as long as they are abiding in Christ, then they will walk in the truth just as they once did. He's pointing them back to Christ 
who is the lamp unto their feet, who is the light unto their path. He's not focused on the false teachers. He leaves them to God. Their sin will not go unpunished. His caring concern is for the church. The fact of the matter is we will never be able to eliminate all the deception that exists in our world. The best way to battle deception is to learn how to stand strong in the truth. And that's what Paul is doing for the Galatians. He knows firsthand that when you choose to do that, when you stand in the truth, you will be persecuted. We know from what we've walked through in this letter that one of the things the false teachers are doing are trying to discredit Paul in order to promote their alternative message. And Paul knows that they're focusing on circumcision only to avoid the realities of the cross. And so Paul says, look, if you want to avoid persecution, then you're going to have to abolish the cross because that's the stumbling block. The cross stands in the way of self-righteousness. The cross is an obstacle to self-reliance. If you want to live for Christ, you must die to yourself. That's a truth of Scripture. And you cannot avoid that stumbling block on the way to justifying yourselves. Paul closes with a criticism of the troublemakers in the Galatian church, and he, he talks about mutilating themselves, which is kind of strange, but it, it's actually connected to something he's said previously in the letter. But, because mutilation was a very common uh, practice in pagan worship. People would literally cut themselves as an act of devotion in the worship to idols and gods and goddesses. And Paul is saying, once again, look, religious ritual of any form no matter how you make it look good, is ultimately no different than pagan worship. Religious ritual, apart from faith in Christ, is no different than pagan worship. And so, in this case, circumcision is just another form of mutilation when it distracts you from what is accomplished on the cross. Then he goes on to make this very practical in their lives as a church. And listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in, the, in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Paul is making the point is you've been set free for, for, for a reason, but, but don't use your freedom for the wrong reason. See, freedom is only a blessing when it's used in the right way. We know that because of some of the blessings we have of freedom here in the United States, right? We have the freedom of speech. Praise the Lord for that. But we also know that that freedom can be abused when you use your words in a way that is hurtful to other people. You can use your freedom in the wrong way. The fact that we are gathered here together is the result of a freedom, the freedom of assembly. And praise God for that. But we also know that there are other groups that exist in our country who meet together who are racist, who are hate groups, and yet that same freedom also protects them. Freedom is only a blessing to others 
when it is used in the right way. And Paul is saying it was for freedom that Christ set you free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Listen to this. God did not set us free so that we could do whatever we want. In fact, that's what we were rescued from. Did you get that? We were rescued from this idea that we find our needs met by doing whatever we feel like meets our needs. The freedom to do whatever we want to do. tells us in Scripture that you were a slave to selfish desires. That you lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And that by your very nature, by my very nature, apart from Christ, we are opposed to God in order to please ourselves. But Christ came in order to set you free from the slavery of selfish desires so that you can live in the freedom of serving one another. Set free to see life outside of yourself to the point that the entire law, Paul says, can be fulfilled through acts of love. Considering the needs of others is more important than your own. Using your freedom for the good of someone else because ultimately that's what Christ did using His freedom to lay down His life so that you can be saved, set free, living in the security and sufficiency of all that He accomplished. Brian mentioned last week that a life of self-reliance leads to a critical spirit, and I, I can't think of anything that would be said more clearly and more true. You see, we justify ourselves by proving to be better than other people. We stay in good standing as long as we can find someone who's just a little bit worse than we are, and then we're good. We highlight the failure of others while hiding our own sin, becoming critical of other people in order to make us look good. Paul describes it in this passage as biting and devouring, which is interesting because you can't help but read that and go, wow, those are strong words. Because when you think of biting, devouring, what immediately comes to mind? It's, it's animalistic, isn't it? I get this picture of the African savanna where these hyenas are biting and devouring the weak and the vulnerable in order to satisfy selfish appetites. And that's what Paul is describing here. You've heard it said before, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world. But it shouldn't be that way in the church. You see, if we truly understand what we've been rescued from, then we really don't feel the need to prove ourselves to be strong and put together. I think it's important to consider the value of what it means to be in a place of being weak and needy. See, as you think about it, the church should be known by its compassion, not by its pride. Our lives should be centered on the finished work of Christ, living in the assurance that we don't have to prove our worth because God has already proven us worthy. 
by sending His Son to die for our sin. That we don't have to strive for perfection because we are being made perfect knowing that He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We can trust in the sufficiency of Christ even in the clear awareness of our own inadequacies. Standing firm in the freedom of His forgiveness and grace. So instead of biting and devouring, we choose to come alongside of those like us who are weak and needy. Finding ways to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. So let me just encourage you as we finish up this morning to just take some time and to ask the Lord to speak some of these truths into your own heart. And what I mean by that is to take a minute to examine your heart and examine your life and to accept those places where you recognize you are weak and needy. And ask the Lord to speak His truth into those places. Places where you may be distracted from God's love because you're burdened by guilt, of, by, the, by guilt and shame. Places where you may struggle with anxiety and are at risk of being robbed of joy. Places where discouragement threatens to destroy your hope. Ask God to speak His truth into those places. And so we're going to take some time just for you to be quiet before the Lord and to do that this morning. And let me encourage you to do one other thing as you spend that time. Have a blank sheet of paper in front of you. Use the bulletin. doesn't matter. But as you're praying and asking the Lord to speak into those places, He may bring some other people to mind. And I want you to write their name down. Just write it on that paper. Because very often God speaks, listen to this, God speaks to His people through His people. So maybe you need to reach out to someone this next week and just be encouraging to them as a fellow weak and needy brother or sister in Christ. Maybe the best way that you love them is you choose to just give them time to talk and listen to them. You don't have to give them the answers. More often than not, if we are just able to talk out loud and and allow God to to speak into our lives, then we discover the answers. And you can sit across the table and go, you know, I think you're right. I think you should live there. And let's do that together. So if you would just take some time to be quiet before the Lord, asking Him to speak His truth into your life, those weak and needy places where you need to know that He is sufficient even if you feel inadequate. Okay, let's do that together this morning.
we close with this song this morning, I want you to um, hear the Lord speak through the message of these words and be reminded that His grace is sufficient, for His power is perfected in your weakness, that you don't have to be strong and put together. In fact, God does His greatest work through the weak and needy. <laughs> for example, see the Bible, filled with weak and needy. I would encourage you just to be reminded of the promises that he will not cause a, a bruised reed to be hurt and damaged. He comes beside those who need help and he loves and protects. That he alone is your rock and your salvation, your stronghold, and in him you will not be greatly shaken. Be reminded of the promises of his sufficiency even in the midst of your inadequacy and allow the words of what we sing together to be a prayer of praise of what we know to be true. That's the purpose of the song. Let it be a prayer of praise for what we know to be true and let him speak into your heart through what we sing together. So stand if you will.